Hello and welcome to Where Do We Begin? My name is Jai Edwards and I'm an Australian 1500 metre runner who has somehow found his way onto the Australian Olympic team set for the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games. I caught up with Harper and Lockie for a chat about some of my journey up until now. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks for that, Jai. My name is Harper and my co-host is Lockie. How are you on this superb day in our final Olympic guest episode, Lockie? I'm absolutely superb, Harps, and I'm just looking forward to uh, getting started and cracking into the actual Olympics. It's only a couple of days away now and I'm super excited to see all our Australian, not only our guests, but every other person that's representing the country do us proud. And of course, firstly, a little note. We recorded this before the Olympic window, so we're not breaking, breaching, violating any rules or restrictions. And also, um, this gets very, very loose. It's a very fun, wild chat recorded about 2 a.m. our time. Uh, But also, you guys know that we are doing daily episodes all throughout the Olympics covering all the happenings at the Games in Tokyo. Tokyo Daily is going to be awesome. So make sure you're checking that out from Friday. It's going to be so good. In the meantime, do you reckon we should just get into this episode with the great man Jai Edwards, Lockie? Yeah, let's crack in. It is amazing what this guy's been through to get to Tokyo. He's actually in Europe right now preparing for the Games, and we are so excited to see him go toe-to-toe with the world's best very, very soon. In more ways than one, really. He really is an Olympic bolter and lucky mate. I'm really looking forward to this episode, I've got to say. So, Jai Edwards, welcome to Where Do We Begin? Lucky Harbour, thanks for having me, boys. Good to be here. It's an absolute pleasure and I'm very lucky to be surrounded by a couple of elite runners. I know Harp has got a few national titles under under his belt as well, don't you, Harps? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, mate. A couple of runs down the creek in lockdown, we'll count it. <laughs> but yeah, so Jai's coming from, um, from Europe at the moment, so I'd love to know, what are you doing over there? Yeah, so... Currently um, up in the mountains at Font-Rameau in France right now. Um, we've been based up here for the last, we'll come up to a month now, which has been really good, really good um, prep for, for the Tokyo Games in, in just over a month. And, um, yeah, training's been going well. I've had, I've had two races, which um, both both went well. They were pretty successful coming off, I guess, a lot of travel and, and some you know solid training, just sort of using it as, as building blocks towards um tokyo but yeah all's going well got two more races lined up in the next couple of weeks and then before we know it we're going to be on the plane over there which is pretty exciting oh yeah very exciting mate and we're just looking forward to watching it and you'd be looking forward even more to competing i'm guessing but a question that we've been asking at the start of every episode for this olympic series could be the shortest answer of all time for you because lots of people (laughs) already know the basics of your event but what is your event and can you explain uh the rules of it, I guess. Yeah, so my event is um, the 1,500 metres on the track, which is pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. Um, but for us, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a pretty exciting event because it's sort of that, it's classed as a middle-distance event. It's not quite your 5 and 10 k's you're on the track for heaps long, but it's kind of that 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 distance where it's a it's a halfway point between being a, a sort of lactic athlete with the 4, four to 800s and, and the distance events in the 5 and 10. So... Um, yeah, pretty tough event. Generally goes for just over three and a half minutes, and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of stiff competition, which makes it tough. But um, I think we got a very strong group of three guys heading over for that event. So um, yeah, really looking forward to 
to that and hopefully all goes well. Yeah, we're super excited too as well, Jai. And I'm interested, so what is sort of like the – what are the stages for you to make the final? Is there like semifinals, heats? Like how, how does it work? Yeah, so for the 1500, there's three rounds. So we've got heats, semis and finals, uh, a day in between each. So I think the schedule is on the 3rd, 5th and 7th of August. But, um, yeah, generally it's it's probably the top four, five, six, something like that in the heats. And then the semis probably a little bit less, maybe probably more like four – just depending on how many heats and, and semis there are. Um, and then, you know, you might get in on, on fastest time. So it really can come down to how quick you run. But in saying that, it, it's, it depends how, how the heats and semis are run. They could be very slow and tactical. They could be hard from the gun. Um, so that's the thing. It's just a very unpredictable sort of event. And um, you never really know what, what's going to happen until, until it comes around. Jeez, I'm, I'm bloody excited to see it then. And I'm interested, so obviously 1500, such a tough event, probably a really, really hard. I mean, like the times you said before, it's like normally done in three and a half minutes. I mean, how tough is that actually to hold that speed for such a long amount of time? Yeah, it is. It is very hard. It's, um, you know, it's just sort of that uncomfortable pace where it's not sort of flat out, but it's, it's just pretty strong for a good, you know, good three and a half minutes, as I said. And it's, it's, it's funny because like it's, um, it's not sort of too bad the first minute and a half or so it's that just that I don't know it's the third lap a lot of people say it's <laughs> it's hard to just hold that and um you know it gets really tough but yeah it just like I was saying it's just so hard it's, it's unpredictable it's in Rio in 2016 the last games we had it was the slowest 500 meter final in about 40 odd years um it was won by an American guy in three minutes 50 which you know it's, it's 15 seconds slow in the qualifier which is just ridiculous but it just basically come down to a, a jog and then a, a really low last four six hundred so that's just that's just how tactics can play a part in this event and that's just how much it can can differ really from time to time but um in saying that it also depends who's there because a lot of guys like your stewie mcswains and and whatnot will love to take it on from the gun and, and make it a hard race and sort of you know don't want it to come down to that kick finish if they're not as strong but um yeah that that's just i guess the the excitement of it all like it, it can really be very unpredictable and who knows what it's going to be like yeah wow that's so crazy how i can i guess change from race to race i guess the different tactics and um but is 1500 like the only event that you typically race for yeah well mostly like it's i'm sort of that 1500 and wild distance of course you still race sort of events around that so i've run a 3k earlier this year i've never actually done a five but i would like to do one even 800s just everything around it um because it's one of those events where I think it's for every event, really, you've got to have a pretty good, to some degree, um, a good event, like, sorry, a good distance above and below it. So if you're a 1,500 metre runner, you want to be quick over 800 as well, but you also want to have the 5K fitness. So, um, and especially given these sort of heats and semis where it's so uh, cutthroat and, you know, tactical, you've got to really have that 800 metre speed where you can close your last lap in you know, just over 50 seconds, 52, whatever it may be. So um, I think it's just all really important to hit all those areas of your training and the, um, the, the lactic stuff or the, the, um, the aerobic, you just got to hit them all and, and be prepared for anything. Yeah, what, are the, um, what are the kind of physical demands that uh, kind of you experience in the 800 compared to the 1500 and then the mile and then the 3K? What are the differences between them for you? Yeah, so obviously, like, 1500 is sort of that distance where it's, it's it's an interesting event because it can differ greatly from athlete to athlete. Like, a lot of 
athletes will sort of they'll thrive off the aerobic type training where um, whether you guys know Stuart McSwain or not, I'm not sure, but um, he's a he's a you know, one of our top 500 meter guys and he thrives off just that real aerobic type type training and um, will run a lot more mileage a week than say someone like me. Um, I'm only running probably 100 to 120k a week max, um, whereas some of these other guys will run 150, 160 plus. So it just really depends, you know, what what each person I guess thrives off and um, yeah, the, the demands are tough because. It's just like I was saying, one of those events where it's kind of in the middle. You need to have speed, but you need to also have that that strength to just run at a, a strong pace for, for three and a half minutes. So um, the training is tough, and it, it does differ greatly between athletes. But I think that's the beauty of it as well, because um, there's not one sort of set training method that works for everyone. It's everyone has their own sort of way to approach things, and um, yeah, it's just a, a tough event to train for, really. Oh, yeah, Matt, I can imagine. But do, you, do you think you're more of a strength guy or more of a kind of speed guy? Yeah, I'd probably slightly say more speed. I haven't really done an 800, um, but my training more sort of thrives off the the uh, shorter or slightly quicker stuff. But that's more so I haven't, with all my sort of injuries the last three or four years, I haven't been able to get the mileage that other people might have. So, um, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, I've just had to alter my training a bit and my mileage compared to most guys is a bit lower, but I've just had to sort of uh, make do with that. And that's just sort of how I've had to, uh, you know, play with things and, and, and alter my training to suit me best. Yeah. And I know I made a joke about our uh, Harper's running records before and stuff, but mate, I, I just cannot believe you just lightly said, oh, just 100 and to 120 Ks a week because that, that sounds so incredibly taxing. And I guess my next question is, is I guess some people, um, they'd w- love to know, so what is it about running? What is it about running 1500 or what, whatever event it is that really that makes you love the sport and makes you want to take that to love to the Olympics? Yeah, it's a good question. Like it's, that's the thing, it's, I don't know, running for me is just, it's just something that's always there. It's something I love doing every day. Um, almost days, there's some days where you don't really feel like doing it. And I do generally enjoy training most of the time, particularly just, just the after. You, you just feel good. You, you feel much better once you've been out and done it all. But for me, the main thing is I just love competing. Um, I love racing. I love racing, I guess, well more than anything. Like it's no better feeling than coming off a, a great race and, um, yeah, you're just absolutely buzzing. Like it's it's just phenomenal. But just being out there competing, I don't know. It's just something I, I love to do, and uh, I don't see that that changing anytime soon. It's especially like this coming into this obviously is pretty much the biggest sort of stage that we can we can get on. So that's obviously a huge excitement. But um, even just in the lead up, I've had two sort of smaller races that are still solid European meets, and I've got two more coming up which are, are even bigger, and it's just sort of ramping up slowly and just I think just I'm enjoying every every step of the way at the moment. Well, Jai, yeah, it's just awesome to hear, I guess, how much like you love the sport and what why you do it and compete at a level. And it's something that I've really grown to appreciate over the last year, how enjoyable running can be. And something that I really just want to ask next is, okay, so I know we're harping on a bit, so 100 to 120 Ks a week of running and training, but how does it actually break down? Is it a lot of steady state runs? Is it a lot of, you know, like threshold type? Is it intervals? Um, how do you like break that down into obviously the 1500 events so that you're com- compete and run at the highest level 
Yeah, that's a good question. Like it's it's obviously um, I think the thing with with running is it's it's so individual and individualized. Like it's um, some people thrive off of certain types of training. Other people do other other types. So it really just depends. Um, for me, it's and with my injury history, the last three or four years, I've really had to play around with that and sort of try and find a bit of a sweet spot in terms of in terms of mileage and what um, what works for me. So. Um, but at the moment, yeah, probably 100 to 120k a week, which usually consists of about uh, three or four sessions a week, pretty much every second day, just depending uh, how our coach is feeling at the time and whether he wants to punish us some more. But um, yeah, we just, you know, it, it sort of just varies week to week. But if we get three or four sessions done, and then um, for us at the moment, it's, it's pretty much just recovering on the days between, whether that be, um, you know, one run normally a couple of runs, maybe just a couple of 30-minute jogs, whatever that may be. Um, and and then, yeah, pretty much it's preparing. And a lot of a lot of people tend to do a long run um, in Australia on a, on a Sunday or something like that, do one longer run throughout the week, which I've done in the past. But that's sort of just something I've had to cut down on a little bit. And, um, yeah, I haven't really done a proper long run much at all this year. So I, I think that's um, just something that's worked for me. I've had to change around a bit and um, – yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, we're only running for three and a half minutes. So as long as I'm sort of feeling sharp and feeling quick and able to run hard for, for that amount of time, then um, I'm doing, doing all right. I'm glad that you appreciated the question. Some might say it was two weeks in the uh, two weeks in the making. So thanks for that, John. <laughs> I think half. I think you've got next, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What really fascinated me when I found out that we were going to be talking to you, talking to a runner. Like personally, I'm not a running type at all. If anything, I'm probably more of a cycling type. So what really piqued my interest is what is the gym routine for a kind of world-class athlete, world-class runner, elite runner like yourself? Yeah, so I think gym is pretty important, of course. Like it, I think the main thing I've sort of noticed over the last few years um, is I'm more used for, for injury prevention and keeping strong, that sort of thing. Obviously, being a 1,500-meter runner, middle-distance runner, you don't want to build too much muscle, but – I think it's really important to try and prevent those injuries and, and keeping strong in areas just to make sure there's no imbalances and and whatnot. Um, and obviously from from strength comes becomes power and and all that sort of thing. So generally um, I'll try and do at least two gym sessions a week, maybe three if I'm um, you know, if, if, if it's all, all going well and, and I can get it done. And, and particularly I'll focus on that sort of throughout the off season and in the winter. Um, yeah, I try and do it where I can particularly like right now we're kind of in peak track season and i do that as much as i can but it gets a little bit tough uh over here so to be quite honest it's, it's been pretty limited at the moment and um the main focus has just been on the, on the training and the and the recovery so but i just try and, and do a bit of maintenance here and there um where i can but yeah i'm not <laughs> i'm not anything uh i'm not super strong or anything like i, I got all right i think for um you know, my, my body weight and whatnot, but, um, yeah, I'll definitely try and focus on that a bit more. I won't really do any, any one RM stuff or anything like that, but if I can try and, um, you know, develop a bit of power in the gym and, and that converts to my running, then I guess it's a win. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And I guess I'd, do you have to be careful with like how much muscle and sort of weight you actually put on? Because obviously with your sport, I guess the heavier the what heavier you weigh, the harder you have to work. And I guess it would be hard to maintain that speed. So like for you, is there like, is there like a target weight that you have to like meet like for race day that your coach sets or like, do you have to be careful? It's like, Oh no, I, I don't want to work out too much because if I build on too, 
too much muscle, it might affect my performance, or does you're not really too worried about the muscle because it actually helps. Like, yeah, so I'm I'm not generally too worried about it. Like, um, I don't do really enough strength work to to get too muscly and, and whatnot, which is not an issue. Um, obviously, you see that with athletics, you see that the sprinters who are huge and big and powerful, and you see the little uh, you know five ten k runners who are skinny as so. I think 1500 being right in the middle, you need sort of that balance of um, you need to be lean and, and, and quite fit, but you also need to have a bit of power and normally pretty good power to weight ratio. So uh, for me, I, I don't generally tend to worry about it too much. If I can, um, you know, I know roughly how I want to feel and I guess look, but um, and I know roughly where my weight should be. But if I'm out training well, um, training high, eating pretty well, it just generally sorts itself out. So it's obviously something I'll keep a bit of an eye on, but if, if everything's going well, I'm not generally too concerned. Mm, yeah, um, uh, that's really, really interesting answer. But so, something else that I want to touch on, we spoke about this off-air race day. You've actually got a race just in a few hours from now. What's a typical race day look like for you, obviously, other than being in, uh, being a guest on the best podcast on the planet? Well, what's your typical <laughs> race day look like? Wait, does Jai have another podcast on after us, Harps? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, spot on there, Harper. It's, uh, it's as good as it gets. It's all all, uh, all part of the race day plan, is, which is awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. I like Race days for me, generally, they stay pretty similar. Obviously, vary a little bit from, from time to time, but generally, they're, they're afternoon race and mostly evenings or, or nighttime. Um, this one's at about 8.30 at night, but... Um, yeah, for me, they normally look pretty similar. I normally, depending on, on the race time, I normally um, wake up and have a bit of a shakeout run. So normally just like 15 minutes or something like that, just, just go out for an easy jog and, or on the treadmill or something just to shake the legs out a bit. Um, and then, yeah, I'll normally just have try and have a good sleep in, of course, before that, just sleep for as long as I can really, um, you know, get as much, much rest as possible. And then normally try to have a good breakfast and for some reason just some that's worked for me over the last few years has, has been pancakes. I don't know why. Um, of course, in these sort of environments with the meat hotels, it's a bit harder to get your hands on some sometimes. Like it's, you know, it's, sometimes I don't serve them. So he's got to make do. Um, for me, I, I'm not, you know, ridiculously um, too strict on what I have to eat. Like normally, yeah, I feel pretty good with, with most things, but pancakes are something that seem to work really well. Um, and I'll usually drink probably uh, at least two or three coffees throughout the day, just not that that's any different to normal anyway. Um, but, yeah, it's normally just a pretty chill day. Try and relax as much as possible. And um, I generally get a good sleep in as well for like a bit of a nap, maybe, I don't know, an hour at least if I can. But just depends how much time I have and how I feel. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then we, we wander on over. The, the beauty here is that the track's literally next door to our hotel, so we don't have to go over until right before. And, um yeah, and then, and then from there, it's normally just a 20-minute sort of warm jog, some drills and strides, and um, that's pretty much it. Just go out and win. <laughs> of course. Um, well, I know there's this soccer player, actually, who's uh, kind of known for being really quick despite uh, getting on. His name's Jamie Vardy, and uh, I'm wondering, is there are there people in the running community that – like drink 53 Red Bulls and 78 coffees on race day or <laughs> not really? Yeah, I'm sure there would be. Like I, my old roommate was a, um, a marathon runner and he used to he'd be pumping the Red Bull at 6.30 in the morning before he had a long run. Um, people, people, I think there's people that do that sort of thing or I know what's pretty popular is, um, you know, I think caffeine tablets or, or stuff like that or um, 
caffeine chewing gum even. I know people do and, and stuff like that. And there's probably people who just down down the coffees. I think I'm pretty sure that there is a legal limit actually. Uh, it's, I think it's a lot, but um, I'd have to check that, but I never really drink enough to worry. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I guess it's a fine line because you want to be pretty amped, but you don't want to be, you know, too overdone and like, I don't know, feeling the pinch of it too early, especially when, I don't know, you don't want to be feeling it at 4 p.m. when you have a 9 o'clock race. So that's the other thing. You've got to, you've got to time it pretty well. But, um, I mean, I guess if, if you can handle it and, and your guts, <laughs> then go for it. Yeah, definitely. I tell you, I've got a bit of inspiration. I reckon next time I go out for my 15-minute 2K runs, I'll be smashing some <laughs> caffeine tablets to make sure I can get through that vigorous workout. And we spoke a little bit about it off air, but – Altitude training. So you, know, you do a lot of altitude training in like Perisher and you've been doing a little bit while you've been over in Europe. Like what effect does that have on your races and I guess your performance? Yeah, it's another good question because um, it's something with like the last few years I've been quite injured. I haven't got much training in and it's something I haven't really been able to do the altitude training, which I think just about every elite middle distance distance runner does altitude training at some point. So um yeah, that's, that's been phenomenal. And, and luckily for us down in Canberra where we train, we can just pop up to Perisher, which is only a, a two, two and a half hour drive down the road, which really isn't that far. Um, and we probably got, before our nationals this year, we probably got um, three or four stints in. Some were only about four or five days, but just enough to sort of top up the system. And uh, I think that's had a huge effect. Um, I've just always come off, come off the mountain feeling really fit and strong and We've had some um, some great results from that sort of training, and my coach, being a physiology sort of expert, he knows the effect that it has, and, and um, you know how we should be feeling, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it's very helpful for us, and, and the same thing has been over here, which has been great. It's a very similar altitude here at Font Rameau, um, and yeah, again, just like I think being exposed to that environment and having it so much as well. Um, back home in Australia, it's really helped. So um, I, I, that's definitely, I think, a key part of my training the last few months and it's probably uh, sort of what's what's helped me so much uh, with these races. And the beauty is that we've sort of been up there, we've just been able to pop down, get a race done and then head back up and you, you're only at sea level for 48 hours. So it's, it's pretty perfect. Yeah, uh, that just sounds awesome, ideal, really. But uh, we, were, we were, again, talking about off-air, a race that you had, about a week ago, uh, I think, uh, Stuart McSwain, who we mentioned before, uh, broke some kind of record, I think, uh, which was pretty amazing, made pretty big news, uh, and you finished third. Pretty good performance from yourself, uh, so well done on that, mate. And just tell us a bit about that race, how it went. Uh, it was a mile, I believe. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, it was um, the Oslo Dream Mile, which in the athletes' world, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty uh i guess elite race i guess it's one of the best miles in the world um i would say it's right up there anyway and yeah i was lucky enough to um get put in that and and for me that was my first diamond league race which is um you know it was quite quite i was ecstatic to be part of that because it's, that was big um and something i've watched for a lot of years so um yeah that, that race was good i i went into that uh, obviously a little bit nervous being my first one on sort of the the real big stage but um the race I wouldn't say it was tactically perfect. I'd just probably found myself a little bit too far back. I'd just probably a little bit too conservative, if that makes sense, but um, sort of got shuffled back early after being on the rail and um, just sort of left myself with too much work to do. But in saying that, I'd rather do that than, than go out too hard and, and just pop. So, um, 
but yeah, an absolute credit to Stewie. Like that was the Australian record, which I think has stood for around 16 years, I think they might have said, something like that, 18. Oh. Uh, so it's been there a while, uh, which was, you know, it was phenomenal from him. He um, really deserved that one. And I think that's like his fourth or fifth Australian record, something crazy. He's just an animal. And um, yeah, don't don't be surprised if you see another one overnight here. It might go from him because he's uh, he's something else. Yeah, mate, we'll be watching intently for not only him breaking records, but we're sure yourself. And as you said, mate, Monaco, fast track. Now, what? why is that? Because it seems like you go quicker there than the body race cars at the MotoGP. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Monaco is it's just a renowned track for running quick. It's, it's just one of the quickest meets of the year, probably the quickest meet of the year, especially for middle distance um, running. Uh, 1500s here are always quick. Don't know what it is, whether it's just the – the, the location, the, the, the track itself. Um, I know that the fast times always attract a great field. So, you know, all the elites are out there and, and all the same goal is trying to run quick. There's nothing tactical tactical going on. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those meets you sort of dream of being a part of and, and to actually be a part of it is, is awesome. So, um, yeah, why it's so quick, I don't know. I think, I think the track's sort of designed in a way, I, I get the feeling it's kind of, maybe up on like above sort of ground level and I don't know if there's some sort of science behind it, but um, yeah, it's, it's always very quick. So just hopefully get amongst that and get dragged along for a decent time. Yeah, cool, man. But something that I found when I was doing a little bit of uh, investigation, the times that the winning uh, person in your event got in 2016, the Olympics, you you like regularly – beat those times, beat those times for like 10 seconds. So I find it pretty pretty crazy, pretty amazing how, I guess, the tracks for one and also the tactics of uh, running running races differ so much um, from race to race. Like, honestly, I had no idea it was to that m- massive extent. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's that's um, something that is, is huge in 1,500-meter running and I think that plays a huge part of how people go progressing through the rounds of um, – of championships, whether, you know, to go from the heats to the semis to the finals. And um, I think that shows just how tactical it can be. So uh, the guy that won that race in 2016, Matt Centrowitz, an American, his PB was three minutes 30 or something like that. But he won the goal in three minutes 50. I think it was one of the slowest, one of the slowest Olympic finals ever. Um, it was just an absolute, they were feeding him just jogging for, for two laps and then just wound it up over the last 600 and, and the last, 400 was unbelievably quick but that's the thing if you got if you go out and, and no one wants to take the lead then it just turns into you know an absolute jog and then a big last four six hundred whatever it is and um it comes down to who can kick the quickest which turns more into an 800 meter race so i think that's the thing with the 500 meters it can, it can differ so greatly and um that's what makes it interesting because the world championships were run uh was won very very quickly by a guy who's racing tonight tim chariot He's a guy who generally is fitter than the rest. He just goes out and gets after it and, and, and runs very quick from the front. So um, that's that's the thing. It was that and that world championship three years later was was one twenty one seconds quicker. So it could just differ so much. And I think that's that's part of the the excitement and the the part of the training. Whereas you've got to be prepared for both those styles of racing, whether it's hard and from the gun or whether it's going to be tactical. But yeah, but still, like, we're talking about your coach now. So Dick Telford, just an absolute legend of the sport. Like, 
one, one of the best coaches. I mean, like, what is it like to be coached by somebody who's so knowledgeable and the confidence that that must give you in, uh, when competing? Yeah, Dick's been phenomenal. Like, he um, I obviously moved to him. I was with a great coach in Sydney prior to that. And then, um, yeah, I, I moved to Dick. Um, I think it was the start of 2017 or the end of 2016. And then I'm, I made the move to Canberra from the south coast, um, just south of Wollongong, which is where home is for me. And, um, yeah, made the journey to Canberra to, to, to train and, and live. And, um, yeah, I was mainly obviously attracted to, to Dick and his, his coaching style, but just the group as well, the great group of guys, which just makes all the difference when you're surrounded by such a good, you know, group of people who push you along every day, really. So, um, but yeah, he is, he is really a legend of the sport. Like you said, he's the thing I love the most. He's 75 years old, he's, but he's as mentally as sharp as ever. He, um, you know, he's just so knowledgeable and so experienced. He's just, he's done it all before many times. He's had so many successful athletes and um, his training style, for, particularly for me, it's not exactly conventional. And that's something we've had to play around with the last few years, given I've been injured so much. But um, yeah, I, I never, never doubt him and, and his sort of coaching style and, and um, you know, what he prescribes me week to week. I never have any doubts with whether it's what I need or not. I just know that, yeah, he, he's all the brains really, and I just I just do the work. So, um, yeah, I'm very lucky to have met him, and, and I couldn't be in better hands. Yeah, like with that whole group um, mentality, and I guess a quote that Dick said was that like the current crop is like the best that he's seen for 30 years in Australia. The athletics, like I guess, how good is this group? Like, is that true? And do you think they're just going to take on and have a really super successful Olympics? Yeah, well, I hope I hope so. Like it's um, right now, the the current crop in Australia is phenomenal, and I think we see that from um, just from all the different sports, all the different events, particularly in, in athletics. There's um, you know there's there's national records falling all around us, and uh, obviously you know, there's different parts to, to play with that. There's different technologies that come in, and, and shoe technologies in particular, which I won't go too much into, but. Um, the, the, the depth is definitely there. I think that's the main thing. And, and particularly with like 1500 meter running, I've seen a lot of stats this year and the depth within the 1500 in particular is phenomenal. And we had, I think four guys run the qualifying time can only take three. So unfortunately uh, one, one bloke had to miss out, but um, that, that's the thing. Like it's, it's just so, so deep and, and but it, it makes it so much better because, you know, now we got a few of us, um, on the world stage and competing against the best in the world. But it's good to have that strong domestic competition where, you know, we're, we're racing some of the best in the world, like Stewie McSwain and, and whatnot on, on home turf. So, um, yeah, it's incredible that the, the depth we've got at the moment. And I, I speak for, for every event when I say that, because there are some legit uh, medal chances in a lot of events and he's hoping for successful games. Yeah, exactly. He is hoping. And you mentioned your injuries. I, I think, some Achilles stuff and some knee stuff, just awful, awful run, some stress fractures in there as well. I'm probably missing some. You've had that many. <laughs> just can you talk to us about what it's like being try, trying to kind of make a breakthrough in the running world, but just constantly getting plagued by these injuries, which just much must take such an effect on your mentality. Yeah. Like I just saw this like quote here, Jai. It said like, in your first two months of training in Canberra, you failed to like, it was like you had about six months worth. So you're injured for like a year and a half. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's exactly it. I, I think like I remember my first, yeah, at least two years of of being in Canberra. Um, I can barely like recall that many sessions at all. I was just on the sidelines that often. And um, what was annoying there was I, I moved to Canberra, obviously to run and and couldn't really do much of it at all. Which I was still lucky. I was kind of studying and doing a bit of work, but um, yeah, it was a pretty miserable time. And I had the Achilles surgery when I was. I was only 19 at the time and um, just, just after that surgery at the end of 2017 was when the continuous injury sort of begun and um, it was just, it was brutal mentally more than anything, but it was just frustrating to no end. Like it was, I'd, I'd probably, I'd have an injury then I'd, I'd get maybe, I'd finally recover, I'd get two, three, maybe four months if I was lucky, decent training, I'd get into a some pretty decent shape and then it just all come crashing down again. I get injured. It would be something else or, or something the same, whether it be hips, knees, um, a lot of lower leg stuff, feet, that sort of thing. Um, never really a common pattern either. It was, it was a bit all over. And I think the Achilles surgery that I had um, might have played a part in that because I had this sort of bony ache in my heel for probably 18 months post-surgery. And I think that was probably just, you know, playing a part where I was probably favoring the other leg and, just through an imbalance there and I don't know, that's, that's kind of my theory, but um, yeah, just, just for those two or three years, it was super frustrating and, and I could get myself into some decent shape, but um, I just couldn't, couldn't go on and, and, you know, keep, keep progressing with it. So in my head, I thought, well, if I can get into some decent shape in three or four months, then it'd be amazing what I might be able to do if I got six, 12, 18 months unbroken. Um, and I think that's just been the biggest change this year, which has led to, good performances because it's it's just i've been able to get that sort of six eight months in now pretty unbroken i've had a couple of small niggles but um nothing i haven't really been able to manage and i think that that along with just developing and, and growing older it's it's just made such a huge difference yeah mate that's that's great to hear and it's great that you're in some awesome form and i guess it would be hard i just moving to canberra to run and i guess you wouldn't move that you don't move there for the nightlife do you so it would have been <laughs> not, not the quite. best place for a, a young 20 year old to nah, in, in saying that i uh, i probably you know got got stuck in a moose heads a little bit when i was injured but um <laughs> down the town but i lived like a, a 19 year old for a little bit there but um you quickly realize it's just you know it's not what i want to be doing and um, you know, I guess even looking back, it's, it was super frustrating, but it's probably at the same time made me the athlete I am today and, and a bit more, a lot more resilient. So, um, I think when you go through that stuff, you often come out the side, the other side even better. Yeah, definitely. And like, so why do you think it's turned around for you? Like, why do you think you've had such a clean bill of health over the last few months? Yeah, great question. It's, um, it's something I've struggled to exactly put my finger on. I reckon it's a, a few things. So number one being when I had um, Achilles surgery I just had that sort of bony ache in my Achilles which has since gone away I don't have any issues with that anymore I think that definitely played a part I think um, I think just just being older and a bit more uh, mature and, and my body's probably matured a bit more I think that's another factor we've definitely played around with my training a lot um, and just like you know we've had to we just had to change something like you can't just keep doing the same thing and expect different results so we've had to just change a lot around and I think that's obviously worked as well um, and, and even now I don't think we've perfected it but we're, we're just about there which is great and excuse me I think that's um, definitely a, a bunch of you know that's a bunch of factors just leading into one and um, it'll still probably take most of my career to sort of 
completely perfect, but we're definitely on the right track. And I just hope that continues and I can continue to get great weeks, months, and even years of good training out um, pretty uninterrupted. Yeah, and I guess I guess the low point must have been and I'm not 100% sure on this, but if the Olympics did run in last year, like you wouldn't, you weren't, weren't able to qualify because of injuries. So I guess then being postponed for you would probably be more of a positive. Yeah, that's I've said that to a lot of people actually the last sort of six months and um, or at least the last few months. And it's as bad as COVID is, it's, it's, you know, it's a terrible sort of situation. But for me, in terms of the postponement of the Olympics, I've just been so lucky with it. Like, um, for that to get postponed an extra 12 months, I, I had no chance last year just, just through injuries and, and just in general. But, um, yeah, the, the, the extra 12 months has obviously given me a chance to get in some shape. And um, until pretty much very late last year, I'd say even the start of this year, I wouldn't have even put the Olympics on my radar. So um, it's just all happened so quickly. I've just been lucky that everything has just been timed so well for me. Um, a lot of good fortune has come into it, but when you've got a, a great team around you, that, that can obviously uh, help massively. So um, in saying that, I, I really do feel, because there's probably people on the flip side who were in shape last year and then now this year they're, they're injured or, or not in shape. So I do really feel for, for those people. And um, I guess, you know, it's just, just good fortune for me at the moment. Yeah, yeah. When you were going through this horrible run of injuries, I know when you're a semi-professional, obviously you don't have the access to as good coaches, as good facilities necessarily. Um, So there's that bad side to it. But when you're professional, the the bad side to that is, I guess, from an outside perspective, like you're not able to focus on like your day job or um, anything like that. You know what I mean? So was there any time during that run of injuries where you were kind of wishing that maybe you were a semi-professional or an amateur instead so you could have something to distract from your kind of physical uh physical suffering yeah that's a good point because like i don't know it was it was definitely hard through those years like you you just sort of i think if, if everyone could know that they're going to be a professional athlete you just you train like that from day dot you wouldn't really go worrying about you know working or or uh, you might study still but whatever you wouldn't worry about it too much but um the uncertainty of it all you know a lot of people have to have a backup plan or, or a backup job or they have to continue to work just to get them by or to you know they've got to work to be able to pay to get them over here and stuff like that so it's, it's a pretty fine line between you know being that professional athlete but still trying to trying to make a living out of it um and I think that's something that I've kind of been lucky with because of obviously just having coming from a supporting family, I've, I've been really lucky with that. Um, I have worked, you know, just, just casually where I can most of the time, but particularly these last sort of six, 12 months, I've really been focusing my running a bit more and um, I sort of dropped the work and, and lighten the study load. And that, that definitely helps and plays a huge part as well. You just get to spend that extra time training or, or recovering more importantly or, or whatever. So um, yeah, it's really tough. And I know a lot of people in our, in our squad who, um, they work full time and, and, and run full time as well, essentially. And, um, it's just, it's just a big balancing act and some people can do it really well. Some others can't. Um, but for me, I'm just lucky to be in the position I'm in right now and, and which is pretty much traveling the world, particularly at a time like this and, 
and you know going to see these great places in these great athletics meets and um i couldn't be happier at the moment so just hopefully i can continue to do that and train professionally i'm sure those places don't come in comparison to moose heads though (laughs) (laughs) nah mate not quite moose heads on a thursday night it's uh definitely where you want to be um nah look it's 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 phenomenal like we're in monaco right now look out the window there's just you know stacks of these million dollar yachts and, and boats lined up and it's just phenomenal. So, like, I think as well, you, you would have told me that I'd be here 12 months ago. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd tell you you're an idiot. Like, I just wouldn't believe you at all. Um, but the way this last, particularly last six months has gone and and to be where I am now, I'm just so, so lucky and, and, and fortunate and also thankful that, you know, everything's gone the way it has and I am where I am. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, I'm calling it early. Once you win the Olympic gold, you'll be the one sailing on those $1 million yachts, mate. I'm, I'm locking it in. I'm locking it in. <laughs> so you're saying we'll, we'll, we'll look at the news and it'll be like Australian Olympic gold medal winner steals a million-dollar yacht from Monaco. <laughs> That's the thing. If I, even if I win gold, I probably won't have enough money for these yachts. So I'll tell you what, if I do, you two will be the first ones to, to join me. So, Jeez, that, that's he's, an honour. <laughs> He's going to go into Olympic sailing with Jason Waterhouse in 2024. But uh, you, you, were spe- you were speaking about uh, the um, being lucky about uh, being able to travel the world. And <laughs> lots of people would be jealous about that. But um, something that was not down to luck at all, the, we were talking about tactics, tactics before. It was an absolute Jai Edwards tactical masterclass, the way you qualified the, for the Olympics. I've got to say, I don't know much about it, but the things I've heard phenomenal stuff i think uh you need to get a personal best uh in this race and get under three minutes 35 um to qualify for the games and obviously you did it that's why you're on this podcast that's why you're heading to tokyo tell us about that race mate extraordinary stuff (laughs) yeah again that was just one of those things that it was just like right place right time you know all the stars aligned pretty much it was um i was pretty lucky because i had a good sort of domestic season leading up to nationals and um, it just it was good just how it played out because every race just sort of got better and better and um, the caliber of the fields was was better and um, yeah just just right up until till that that race everything just went pretty smoothly and didn't really have any issues and um, nationals was obviously uh, a huge huge step up from a lot of those races and then the main one being um, having Stewie there so as I was saying before it was still a lot of good fortune like. Um, when I was in that final, it, Stewie's just a class above the rest of the field, and and he his best chance to win that race was to take it on from the gun and and to try and run everyone off their feet essentially. So um, I made that decision pretty early on in the race to just go with him and and hopefully hold on, which I was lucky enough to do. Um, you know that that day it was, it was sort of a bit windy, um, so running from the front would not have been easy, and I was just lucky to be able to get a sit on the quickest guy in Australia for 1,400 metres of a 1,500-metre race and um, just lucky enough to go by the last 100. But, you know, in my mind, I felt kind of bad because, you know, Stewie's still a, a better 1,500-metre other than I am and I feel like I sort of just took that time away from him in a way, which I know is still, you know, that's racing and, and that's how it goes. But, um, yeah, there was a certain certain degree of feeling a bit guilty there. But, um, yeah, again, I, I, that is the beauty of racing and, and anything can happen and, one race can change everything. I, I went into that that uh, nationals with without a qualifier um, and got towed along to to get one and then get the automatic spot for the Olympics. So, you know, within four minutes, I've gone from 
on the team. Oh, sorry, not on the team, but on the team. And, um, you know, everything's just changed so much since then. So it's just been incredible. Had you even thought about what it was going to be like or thought ahead to being on the team before that race? Because just within the space of that three and a half minutes, your fortunes have completely flipped. Yeah, it was it was pretty unreal. Like it was, um, like you said, it, it was definitely a shock win, and I wasn't too sure how how that race would sort of play out. Like it, you know, had, had a, a fair idea that Shuey would probably go hard, but you know, you just never know till till it happens. Um, but yeah, it was it was just as I was saying before, it was just the, the perfect uh, run of events leading up to that race. Each race just got better and better, and um, I was, you know, it was just. The, the races leading into it was um, gave me a lot of confidence, I'd say, more than anything. And, and yeah, the Olympics, it was kind of on the radar. And I think just as the season went on, that sort of, that sort of realisation just grew more and more. Um, and by the time I ran my last race before nationals, I was probably only half a second off running the qualifier. So that was, that was handy. But, um, and that's when I kind of realised, okay, I'm, I'm a decent shot here. But even then with, with the quality that we have, in the 1500 meters, it was never a given. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a huge sort of surprise for me, particularly that race. And, um, but it's been, it's been awesome being over here. I think I've really kind of cemented my spot and I feel like I actually belong out here running against some of the, the best guys. So, uh, it's a great feeling to, to be able to do that and just to be alongside them in these races. Yeah, definitely, mate. And so now you've qualified, we want to know, what are your goals for the Olympics? You know, Harper and I are not quietly, we're just very confident, to be honest, in you and where <laughs> and what you're going to achieve. I'd love to hear, what are your goals and how are you feeling heading into the Games? Yeah, look, it's it's a lot of excitement, um, first and foremost. And obviously, there's there's nerves there and you're on the world stage in front of everyone. It's it's a bit of a scary thought. But um, yeah, being my first Olympics, I never thought I'd be here. I'd uh, last year, I was kind of just more thinking Paris, maybe, and even that's not really a, a given. But I thought that that'd probably be my best chance. So this has just all been a bit of a, a shock, and you know, I'm just riding the wave at the moment. But um, yeah, being seeing as though there's three rounds of the 1500, the, the ultimate dream would be to make the final. That would be absolutely incredible. Um, that's going to be extremely hard to do, especially given the caliber of, of athletes around the world. But I would just love to hopefully race twice if i can make the semis that'd be great and then obviously i'd love to make the final but um we'll just see how it goes if i can just take it one race at a time hopefully get at least a couple races in um but as long as i you know can look back and and run well and if i'm not good enough then then so be it as long as i can just have no regrets in the race run it tactically how i want and um that's all you can really do if you're not good enough then then so be it yeah how many make the final just quickly Probably twelve normally, yeah. So it's pretty okay. pretty cutthroat. Like normally they'll take it depends. Probably um I'd say from the heats maybe five ish, give or take one, um, people. So that's normally not too bad. And then they'll take a few few on times and uh depending on how many semis there are, they'll take sort of probably three or four from each semi and then through to the final and so it'll be twelve total. Given that so, and how, how many runners are sorry, lucky how, how many runners are in total, going to these games? Yeah, I think it's 45. I'll have to check that. Um, 45 okay. or 48, around that. So, yeah, it's normally, it'll probably be a good four four heats probably. But, yeah, we'll yeah. have to Awesome. Have to well, that. that's, 
if there's 44 people going or whatever you said, that's uh, 43 people that you're going to beat. And um, I guess being your first Olympics, like, does the nerves like affect your racing performance and the fact that like you could tie yourself out before the race even happens? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I know some people um, with their, their pre-race nerves, they, they get so, so bad they're physically sick and, um, yeah, I've known a lot of people who, you know, they just can't, can't handle it on the world stage. And we've even talked about it before with, with my coaches, he's had people in the past who, um, yeah, they just, they really can't handle it and they almost like don't want to do it. It gets that bad. So I'm generally pretty good. Like for, for most races, I, I'm pretty calm. Like I obviously get, get nerves and there's also a fair degree of excitement there too. Um, and you're always a, a bit concerned with, with the outcome, but I think if you sort of just stand on the start line and just think back to all the training you've done and just be confident as much as you can, um, I'm sure Tokyo will be a different story because, you know, it's, it's, it's the Olympics. So it's, it's a bit of a different, uh, different approach and that, uh, that's as big as it gets, but I'm sure I'll be a bit more nervous there, but um, I'm generally pretty good. And if I can just stand there and know I've done my all to get here and, you know, whatever happens, happens, that's probably the best way to approach it. And at the time of recording, just a couple of days ago, it's been announced that there are going to be no crowds whatsoever at the games. So firstly, how do you think that's going to affect race day and the race itself? And secondly, the whole your whole Olympic experience, because it's just obviously going to be so strange. Like, do you think it's going to detract from it at all for you? Yeah, it does. Like, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, um, you know, running running in front of a crowd is a whole different experience and it really, you know, I think it helps with um, adrenaline and whatnot and I think that affects people in different ways. There's some people who really thrive off it and um, some people kind of need the crowd to get up and about but, again, it's going to be, you know, it, it'll be the Olympics but it probably won't quite feel like the Olympics. So, um, yeah, it definitely plays a part. I think it will impact people differently depending on who they are and, and how they go about things. Um, and that's the other thing, being inside a huge stadium having empty seats, it'll be a weird feeling for sure. And as you were saying, you know, that you would, a lot of those people would be used to running in front of tens of thousands, however many it is, but, um, you know, only having a few there, you know, pretty much just coaches or whoever they let in, um, it's going to be kind of eerie. So it's going to come a lot, come down to a lot of self-motivation and, and hopefully, um, you know, for, for me, it's won't be too much of an issue. Yeah, definitely. Now it's, comes to our final question but it might be our most important so which is do you have any like a life philosophy like any little words that you sort of like live your life by um not really like i just like to as best as possible have no regrets with things like i know that's so cliche and whatever but it's it's just like with with this sport i don't want to leave any stone unturned sort of thing i you know um and it's so easy to look back on particularly races and stuff and think could have done that, should have done that. Um, but, you know, it, it's all in the heat of the moment and you've only got three and a half minutes out there and, you know, you, you just got to give it your all and whatever decision you make at the time, that's just that's just what happens. So um, as long as I can, you know, look back and, and have had a good crack, left nothing to chance, like, you know, giving it my all um, and hopefully look back in 10 years' time with a career I can be happy with, That's that's all I can really do. Yeah, and I, I know Lockie said it was the final question, and I know that it's one twenty a.m. But we're going to keep on rocking <laughs> because we have got one final segment, and I'm going to hit the music.
This could be a very uh, interesting quiz. I, I'm sleep deprived, <laughs> as Harper said. It's nearly one thirty over here. I know Jai's preparing for a big race, so <laughs> it's all happening. <laughs> It's going to be a weird one. It's almost as weird as uh, the Olympics going ahead without any crowds. Uh, it's a bigger event than the Olympics, of course. It's the Where Do We Begin quiz, my favourite segment, Lockie's favourite segment. I uh, hope all our listeners enjoy it too. So, uh, Jai and Lockie, I've got two questions for the both of you. Uh, five, uh, Two questions? Five questions for the both of you. There we go. 1.30am already showing. But I've got five questions all related to Jai and his career. They've got some loose connection to you and your career Jai, um, so I'm going to start with question one. Your name is your buzzer. Um, yeah, let's just go for it. Uh, let's let's get, out of this way, get this out of the Ooh. way before we start falling asleep live on air. So uh, question one. Uh, so I'm going to read out the lyrics to the song that was Australia's number one on the 6th of March, 1998, which I believe is your birthday, Jai. Yeah. Uh, so right. you can... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Seems surprised by that, but we do dig deep with our research here. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you can just buzz in whenever you want. And yeah, Har- Harper, took a fo- Harper took a photo of your driver's license. That's how we got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Got your credit card details too, Maybe. mate. Um, yeah, uh, you won't so- find much on there, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can buzz in whenever you want. And just name me the song. But once you buzz in uh, and get it wrong, you can't buzz in again. So I'm going to start reading the lyrics. Every night in my dreams, I see you, I feel you. That is how I know you go on. Far across the distance and spaces between us, you have come to show you go on. Near, far, wherever you are, I believe that the heart does go on. Once more, you open the door. And you're here in my heart, and my heart will go on and on. Do one of you guys want to go? I've just read out the chorus. So I can I've keep got no going. I've no idea, mate. Just skip. You're right, Lockie. <laughs> just skip, mate. I've got no, no clue. Idea. He didn't you sing can... it, so. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't melt. <laughs> oh, no idea. idea. No idea. Well, it's. Have, have you seen the movie Titanic? Yeah, yeah. Is that that song? Yeah. What's the my song? Heart the Will Go one. On by Celine Dion. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, I should. Probably I, shouldn't have I had no idea. I still don't yeah. know. Yeah. I can't know the song. I couldn't even know the words, to be honest. So. Yeah, clearly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to question two. Uh, if, good start. Uh, we've got to start. question two. So, of course, your initials, Jai, J-E, another famous J-E, is uh, the great man, the infamous Joe Exotic. So, my question is, in which U.S. state did Joe Exotic operate his infamous zoo the Greater Winwood Exotic Animal Park which state Lockie is it Lockie? New Jersey New Jersey I'm afraid is incorrect <sighs> oh oh I got no idea Jai, do you want to have a little crack at this one um, where do you old Joey boys from I know he's I from my dreams no <laughs> 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 oh jeez Thicky oh, by being the man Celine Dion was talking about in the song. It, so that I, may be, yeah. Good point. I haven't seen it either. Uh, nah. <laughs> you nah, haven't seen Tiger King? Nah. Wow. Uh, yeah, do you want to just have a crack? Just have, have a stab. There, mate, there are only 49 the US states left, so you've got uh, yeah. like a 2% <laughs> chance. Yeah, right. Um, nah, I've got no idea. I'll go. <laughs> Texas. 
Texas, I'm afraid. I'd, lo- I'd love if you got the point, but you haven't, and yeah, it's no. incorrect. Uh, the answer yeah. is Oklahoma. Um, yeah. There you go. Well, I'll tell there you what. John and I have a lot in common, both elite runners, but we haven't seen Tiger King. We are two peas in a pod. That's it. And that is it. Both on zero points. We're still locked at nil all in an absolutely thrilling quiz. Uh, it's usually pretty tricky, but I think it's even trickier being at, uh, as of net, right now, one twenty-five a.m. But we'll move uh, to question three, which is a closest to the pin question. So, of course... Uh, based in Canberra uh, quite a bit of the time. So, of course, in the Olympics, being in Tokyo, the distance from Canberra to Tokyo is around about 7,952 kilometres. So, a little bit of a mathematical question for you here. So, listen closely. Going at the same pace as you did, Jai, when you ran 1.5 kilometres in about 3 minutes 34, and imagining there was no water in between Canberra and Tokyo, just running straight there, how long would it take you to run from Canberra to Tokyo, running at that pace, closest to the pin? Mm, 7,952 kilometers. Someone's got to get a point here. It's closest to the pin. So I'm going to have to dish it out somewhere. Um, mm, geez. I'll just go. You trying to work it out? Yeah, oh, mate, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go 15 days. Try. Oh, jeez. Um, I was kind of trying to work it out, but I'm not going to bother. Um, uh, I'll go 12 and a half days. Uh, 12 and a half days is incorrect, but you are closer. So you get the point, the first point of the Ooh. quiz. Very well done. It's 13 days oh, or around oh, about 315 hours and eight minutes uh, going about Two minutes and twenty two point six seven oh, seconds uh, per kilometer. Oh yeah, full uh, quarantine. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've done well there. I was re- really worried that one of us like, would embarrass ourselves. I'd be like a hundred yeah. days, or right? I'd be like <laughs> two. And so I'll let you go first. <laughs> I would have said just something way off. I'll let you go. Just go less. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of a stalemate going on there. Just for yeah. listen, I had to about, cut out about five minutes of silence there. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll move out to uh, we'll move on. Sorry to question four. So, of course, your sport being running. I hope all the listeners know that because uh, considering we've been talking about the talking about that the entire time. But uh, question four is: Which character famously said "Run, Forest, Run" Lockie, in the nineteen ninety four Forest film? Gump. Forest. Oh wait, uh, Forest Gump. Forest Gump is incorrect. Oh, Forrest Gump a... did not say run, Forrest run in the 1994 oh, film. Je- Forrest Jenny. Gump. Jenny uh, is absolutely correct. Very well done. It's gone 2 0 up. And uh, just to show off your knowledge, do you know her last name? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't no seen, I haven't seen Forrest Gump, so there you go. It's been a long, oh, there you go, yeah. it's been a long time. Jenny Curran is her name for all those. Interested? Which ah. Probably very few people. Uh, I'm not sure who'd still be listening <laughs> at this stage, considering how loose this quiz has been. But we'll move on to question five. Uh, Jai's two 0 up, but Lockie's still in the game because all our listeners who have listened to this before will know that uh, question five is a "Who am I?" question. So I'm going to start from five points. 
go all the way down to one point with a series of clues, of course, all leading to who I am. And uh, once you buzz in and get it wrong, you can't buzz in again until the other person gets it wrong. Lockie needs three points to win it outright if we don't want to go to a tiebreaker. And considering we're now at 1.28am, I really don't want to get a tiebreaker question. Uh, but I'll start, I'll start with the five-point clue uh, for who I am. So... I was born on the 12th of January, 1964, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the United States. Moving on to the four-point clue. The child of Jacqueline and Theodore Jorgensen, I displayed scientific interests and technological proficiency and once rigged an electric alarm to keep my younger siblings out of my room. Naughty. Move on to the three-point clue. Lockie's got to get it here to win it outright, of course. So for three points, after graduating from Princeton University in 1986 with a degree in electrical engineering and computer science, I was offered jobs at Intel, Bell Labs, and Anderson Consulting, among others. Lockie, do you want to have a stab or should we move on to the two-point clue? Oh, mate, see, I reckon I know who it is, but I can't remember his name. Well, that, that doesn't do much for me, mate. Uh, it's who my question, so I'll need a name. Mate, I, I reckon, oh, uh, no, uh, yeah, uh, is it Elon Musk? <laughs> Elon Musk. Let's get a bit of a drum roll going. He's incorrect. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Feels you know, just to bring you down. Uh... So, Jai's got a free hit at it now. Uh, we'll move on to the two-point clue. Uh, well, unless Jai wants to guess this and he gets it wrong and brings Lockie back in. But for two points, anyway. Uh, I met Mackenzie Scott uh, while she was working as my assistant in 1992. Uh, we married a year later but divorced in 2019. Who is Mackenzie Scott? <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it, no it made, oh, okay, I'll give you a bit of a clue. Oh, not much of a clue, but it made pretty fairly big news when they divorced in 2019. Yeah, right. Because he's got no. Go to okay, one. Moving on to the, the one-point clue. So on the 8th of March, uh, of course, your birthday in 2018, Forbes named me the world's richest person with a net worth of $149 billion Australian dollars. Okay. Well, there's two people that has come to mind, but... Well, it's not Elon Musk. Lockie's guessed yeah. that already. No, I'm thinking it's either um, Bezos or Bill Gates. I don't even know if one of the, both of those could be wrong. I reckon um, it's Bezos. I reckon it's Bezos. Yeah, based on age, I'm going to get Bezos. Bezos is absolutely correct. Ah, right. Very nice. Congratulations, mate. Uh, I, just want, I just wanted to get you on the winning ways early. Like, you yeah. know, I, I, I'm, Thanks, sick, I'm sick of winning. I'm sick of yeah. winning these things, so I just thought, you know what, get Jai's confidence up before the big race. That's it. Thank you. You've done your job. feeling much better now. Yeah, we love that. And something I discovered, which is just absolutely fucked, really, uh, old mate Bezos, or not really mate, he's a bit of a prick, I reckon, his net worth grew by more than $30 billion Australian during COVID-19, which is just 
Phenomenal. Jeez, really. I actually had <laughs> Amazon about up, to sponsor so. the show, Harp. So now they've just pulled <laughs> that out. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry to uh, Jeffrey if you wanted to get in touch, but mate, you can kindly <laughs> fuck off because you are a bit of a wanker, I reckon. Uh, but <laughs> this podcast has been so, so loose uh, for our little late night session. I think that just about wraps us up unless Lockie's got anything else to say. Mate, I'd just like to thank Jai for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. You destroyed my confidence in the quizzes, but I will rebound. Don't you worry. <laughs> nah, unreal. Thanks, mate. It's been so good being on, and I'm glad we finally got to do it after a good few weeks. I think it's been over a month or two since you reached out. Um, but now we finally got it done, and I uh, really enjoyed it. Ah. Oh. I was just getting absolute goosebumps and it was so much fun talking to Jai. You know, I think running is something that both Harp and I, at least we know how to do, sort of. So it was something that, you know, I think we could both really get involved in and discuss with Jai. So thanks so much for coming on. Can't wait to see you absolutely dominate at the upcoming games. Yeah, I really hope you guys uh, enjoyed that and took as much out of that as we definitely did. We've been talking about it and yeah, we just loved that episode. Thanks so much, Jai, again for coming on. Thanks to our listeners for listening. You can check out all our socials at WDWBPod and even if you want, you don't have to. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin. We'd really appreciate that. Five-star review. Shout out to your mates, anything. You don't have to, but we'd love you if you did. We actually got a really nice review the other day. Lucky uh, we saw that one, so good on you, whoever that was. Forgot your name, sorry. Good to see your burner account still fired up, Harps. <laughs> uh, yep, of course. Uh, that's the way it goes. Anything else before we go, Lucky? I'd just like to just, yeah, thank all our listeners and, you know, make sure you jump up on social media. we got a lot of good content up there and it'll continue during the Olympics. So you can find us on Facebook at Where Do We Begin or Instagram and Twitter at WDWBpod. Thanks again for listening and, yeah, see you next week. And, of course, Tokyo Daily from Friday the 23rd of July. All the episodes on YouTube, videos, it's going to be awesome, and all your podcast apps, of course, as well. So make sure you get on that. I'm looking forward to it. Lockie, are you looking forward to it as well? I'm pumped and yeah, can't wait. Thanks for listening, guys. See ya. See ya.